Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal, and this is episode 21 of season two, Conversation with Devin Dabney. And this is going to be our season finale, uh, which is perfect because Devin has been a huge part of this podcast. He's come up a lot in different conversations, especially um, with Chris Hampton, who he and Chris are kind of like the two climbing rappers um, out there right now. And um, we're also on volume 21 of the climbing zine. So it's just kind of perfect. We're going to end on 21. And as I always say, uh, the best way to support the climbing zine is to pick up something from our store. Uh, we've got a variety of merch, books, zines. We've even got a children's book called Squeak. And um, yeah, that is the best way to support us. Uh, we're going to get the Patreon thing going again in 2022. Kind of slipped off of that for a while, but seeing how some other podcasts are really making that work and, and some people might want to support us in that way too. So look for that next year. Um, all right, let's get into this conversation. It was a, a wide-ranging one. This one is definitely for the hip-hop and climbing kind of nerds out there. Um, as I, we said in the interview, Devin and I have a lot of conversations on the phone, and this one was very much like that. Um, we're just kind of riffing on ideas that we have, and we're both super creative, and we're really into the climbing culture aspect of climbing. Um, we hardly spray or even mention any specific climbs or anything and i think that's why people come to the climbing zine and why people come to this podcast but um this one is definitely for the nerds hey everyone tommy caldwell here you know everyone at least in the climbing world these days is trying to figure out ways to live more intentionally to live a less impactful life and one of the best things we as climbers can do to make that happen is to support and buy things from the companies that are doing the same thing the companies that are figuring out ways to lower their carbon footprint lower their chemical usage make their products out of recycled materials make products that just don't wear out and you know the only company that's doing that well in the ropes and hardware space is Edelrid. They've been innovating the best products for over 100 years. They invented the sit harness. These days they make unquestionably the most high quality ropes, the lightest weight carabiners. And really, they're just awesome all around. So check them out at www.climbgreen.com. Hey, this is Chad Rich. I'm the editor and producer of this podcast. We can't bring you this audio art without your support and support from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Scarpa. Scarpa's approach to climbing shoe design mirrors their approach to the pursuit of climbing itself. They strive to evolve and incorporate new ideas and techniques every step of the way. They refine their strengths, train their weaknesses, and build on each success. Scarpa has been bolstering its climbing shoe foundations by continuing to create versatile, high-quality designs that satisfy the needs of climbers across a range of disciplines and skill levels. For more information, visit scarpa.com. Now let's get into the episode. Well, I've, I've got a lot of kind of friends that I call pen pal friends um, through the climbing zine. And I would say you are kind of like my number one pen pal friend. <laughs> and, and these are people that I work with, I work on stories, and we've never actually met in person. And you and I have had so many you know, long conversations over the phone. I think at the end of the day, we're both 
just like nerds <laughs> in the yeah. same way um, <laughs> or in a, with very similar interests. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's the, the start of our, our friendship and relationship. We've kind of been these pen pal friends and a lot of it is through the lens of climbing and a lot of it is through the lens of hip hop. Um, but -hmm. I think it all, it all boils down to, um, our craft as writers and kind of our love of culture and looking at culture. We were talking the other day about how we've never really like talked about a climb we're working on, or we we never talk about the specifics of climbing. So, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed our, you know, getting to know you through writing. And I first found your writing, um, through your poetry and, Mm -hmm you're you're also a rapper you're also a writer and you're also a podcaster um Mm -hmm. but i'd like to hear like where your writing journey really began in life yeah i mean so i've i would pretty much say i've been a writer my whole life you know i i always liked poetry you know even when i was like five or six years old i would try to write poetry i try to write oh, poetry wow. for gir- girls on the park you know like oh, to impress man. the girls oh, dude, man. If... <laughs> that young that's amazing i know i'm yeah. i know dude i it, thinking back i definitely yeah at that age i still had crushes and i mean that kind of just speaks to how much of a romantic i am and mm-hmm. i mean that's you know i think a lot of artists are romantics at heart but yeah yeah, I think the first time I ever like wrote something like a like a story or a book was when I was in like second or third grade, my teacher had this like creative writing assignment for us. And I guess I just had never done something like that. Um, but she she asked us for a page. I came back the next day with like 10 and I and like after the um assignment was over, I still was writing. <laughs> and I just I became I mean, I would almost say it was obsessive. Like, I just wanted to write all the time. Like, I mean, I guess I'm kind of dating myself by saying this, but, like, I remember I used to have all these three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks that would have all these different stories that I had written (laughs) saved on them. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just started out as, like, an assignment for school that I took and and just made it into something that was my own. And then I just kept writing and just pretty much didn't stop until now and I'm still doing it, you know? Wow. That's really cool. I, I and I never even, I never knew that about the, the your writing goes back so far um, into your life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. it, it does. Yeah. I mean, and it's changed obviously um, in terms of what I write about, but I've always been interested in writing and, and creating worlds, you know, like that's one of the things like I love fiction and, you know, just that that ability to when you write something like it's real, you know, like even though I mean, it's obviously not real, but you can create whatever you want pretty much. And uh, I was just so into that. Like, I loved the idea of like creating these new worlds or like ex- exploring these ideas. Um, yeah, it's just always kind of been a thing that I've wanted to to do. I never really thought about it as a job until recently, but it's always been something I've loved. That's incredible. Um, you know, I didn't start writing till much later, but I feel like I am a hopeless romantic too. And I used to write girls <laughs> like too soon poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, yeah. We, we got that in common too. That's great. 
Dude, well, maybe yours hilarious. was right on time. I don't know. There's, there's a fine line of, of when you give a woman a, a poem, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know. Or, or I mean, whatever, uh, you know, whoever you're attracted <laughs> to. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, I had to I had to learn. You know, I was yeah. young. <laughs> it was just, it, I mean, it just, I think what it shows is just that is very early on how I learned to express myself uh-huh. um, was through writing. Like it was easier to, it was easier for me to write my feelings or write my thoughts than it is for me to demonstrate them or to even say them. Yeah. I mean, and I still think that's true. I don't know about you, but it's always been easier for me to express myself in writing. Absolutely. Yeah. There's this artist, uh, Little Sims, and she's got like, I write words for a living, but I still can't communicate, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah, I, I could totally, totally relate to that. Um, And and so when did you get into um, writing raps? How did that uh, come about? Let's see. So, hmm. So I, I've always tried to write poetry, but I, I would say that that's different than rap because rap is like, and this is something I learned early on, is that rap is about the performance side of it just as much, if not more, of the lyrics. Like where, you know, you might have the best lyrics in the world, but if you can't like rap them, then it doesn't convey the same. But uh, it started because, <laughs> this is going to sound so silly, but um, it started because, like, when I was in middle school, you know, freestyling at, at like, lunchtime and on the bus and, like, in the hallway was, like, a huge thing. Um, and I remember one time there was, like, a group of people that was rapping. And I just, like, jumped in and, like, tried to rap with them. I had never rapped in my life. I don't know what gave me the gall to just, like, do this with no preparation. <laughs> but I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I was and I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible because I mean I've literally never done it, right? And I remember just getting clowned so much and having so many people tell me, Devin, you can't rap. Like just give it up. And that is what made me want to be a rapper. Was just basically to prove to my peers that I could do it. Um and so yeah, like I just like just like I did with the creative writing story when I was eight years old I would go home I would put on like I couldn't really find instrumentals at that time so I would just put on other rap songs that I really liked and I would try to write to them I would like rap while I was doing the dishes I I mean I would just I practiced so much and um it's really funny I mean at that age like things seem a lot bigger than they actually are but I felt like I was like it was like eight mile or something every time the passing period came in, you know, like where uh-huh. you're, you're like battle rapping and, but that's basically how it started. And I think in retrospect, it was my way of fitting in with people because I've never really fit in with any group of people, you know, like I didn't really fit in with my, the people that I lived around. Like in, in high school, I was around a lot of white people and I didn't really fit in with them. And you know, it's like the too white for black people, too black for white people sort of situation. Mm. And so rap was like my way of being cool. You know what I mean? Where like, it, it just, it was universal. Like it, anyone could understand that I was a good rapper and just like performance became my way of being like, like, um, accepted. That's mm. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. But yeah, it started there. And then actually, ironically, um, around that same time, um, I started doing visitations with my father. My father wasn't around when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't meet him until I was like 14 or 15. And he was a musician. 
Um, and he had this uh, keyboard in the basement that could record up to six tracks at once. And pretty much, dude, like when I would go visit him, I would just go straight down to his basement and spend the whole time making beats. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I would like I would record them on like a tape recorder. And so like I'm listening, like I would play it through the speakers and just put the tape recorder next to it. And so I could like make the beat at his house, like record it on the tape recorder and take it home and listen to it again and show my friends at school, you know, like. Oh man, this is cr- like just talking about this is bringing back so many memories. But yeah, long long story sort of short, that's how it got started. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, <laughs> and, and so you've you've kind of been making your voice in, in the climbing world through a variety of ways. But it seems like poetry was the first way I came across your work, and I I just I read mm-hmm. your poetry. I don't even remember where now. I think it was on Instagram or Facebook or something. And, some company had shared it or I don't even really remember exactly. I know we connected over social media, but I don't, I just remember seeing your poetry and I was like, all right, this, and and I'm the only, you know, the climbing zine is the only (laughs) publication that Mm -hmm. consistently publishes climbing poetry. Yeah. Um, So I'm kind of always on the lookout for someone who, you know, has bars and you clearly have bars. (laughs) And um, (laughs) yeah, I just remember being like, all right, you're a great poet, but it took years for us to kind of start working on an essay and you um, you wrote a really great essay in volume 19 and then you really you wrote a really awesome essay in volume 20 as well um, mm-hmm. how does your writing evolve into um, and we can talk about climbing too because this is a climbing podcast but how do, sure yeah. you know like how does your writing evolve from all right, I'm writing poetry. Um, I think I want to be a rapper. I am a rapper. I'm writing raps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you evolve into I'm um, I'm an essayist or I'm, I'm going to start speaking greater truths through long form essays? Yeah. Um, well, first, I just want to say that I, I think it's really interesting and cool that you found my poetry first because, yeah, I, I think it had to have been on Facebook because again when i was like when i was like 14 through 18 i would write so much poetry and again it's like hopeless romantic poetry like i'd write it about girls or i'd write it about all of all of my 14 year old feelings <laughs> and that's what you found and you thought i was good <laughs> uh, well this is uh, awesome. i mean these these are your your poems were about climbing and and self um oh that must yeah. you must have found some later stuff then okay yeah that's yeah i mean cool. i'm thinking i think the first poem you had was in volume 13 Mm-hmm. of the climbing zine which is now already out of print <laughs> which Man, is crazy that's, that's, that's how insane. long we've been kind of been working together that's um, really awesome yeah uh, yeah sorry but yeah that was just thinking about that but um but yeah i mean a lot of it just comes from you know just not i guess i don't know how to say it other than like not feeling satisfied with the current medium you know like when i was um when i was rapping you know, I, I felt like, at least when I started rapping, I felt like rap was really limited in how you could express yourself. You know, back then it wasn't really accepted to rap about emotions or mm. feelings. Like, I mean, we're talking about the the Lil Wayne drought slash like, um, you know, Lil Flip T.I., Dirty South era of hip hop. So yeah. like, 
it was not okay to be like a Kid Cudi or like a, um, you know, that sort of artist. So I, I felt like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a multi-million dollar crack dealer. I'm not a gangster. <laughs> I didn't really feel like I fit in with rap, even though I knew how to rap. So I kind of got, I mean, that's what brought me back to poetry was like, I mean, I feel like here I can express myself differently and it's more accepted. And I also didn't really know or have the wherewithal to try to combine climbing and rap, you know? Uh, it wasn't until I found Chris's music that I thought to do that. But basically, I would say that it all it always comes down to me being too comfortable in a medium or not feeling like I can express what I'm currently going through. And so, like, you know, the the essay that I wrote for you, I mean, I, it prob I probably wouldn't have done it without your encouragement, but also, like, the things that I said in that essay are not things that I could have said in a rap or a a poem or anything. And so like, I think it just changes depending on how I want to express myself. Um, and just, and also just like as an artist, right? You understand this, like wanting to like push what is possible for you or find that like new thing or, you know, new way of taking your art to the like quote unquote next level, whatever that is. Um, but that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, it's, it is that, um, being able to say everything you want within an essay mm -hmm. uh, or a book, you know, I think writing a book is my favorite way to express myself. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's really heartwarming for me to see so someone younger like yourself. Um, I know you said you you dated yourself and I'm guessing you're like in your early thirties, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm in my early forties. Um, so to me, you're, you're very much a young person um, in my kind of greatest fear is that people will stop writing essays um and ah. I, I don't think that's gonna happen um i have a lot of unrational fears that make wake me up <laughs> in the middle of the night with the climbing zine i'm always like oh i don't have a, i don't have this i don't have enough <laughs> stories and then the next morning someone will send me a story yeah um but i do feel like an essay essays and books are even more important now than ever because so many people express themselves in short bits of writing that they post on social media. Mm -hmm. And then there's also things that get attention on social media that lack like nuance and context. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think that, um, you know, I think long form podcast conversations are great too. Um, but I think that there's something that you can say what you really want to say in the context of an essay. And I, I think you've been, like really, really good at that um, in both your essays. So, man, I appreciate that, dude. Like it. Uh, I mean, like I said, I felt really, I felt really uncomfortable writing an essay. Like I'm sure you'll remember when you were trying to, you were just like kind of nudging me a little bit. It it just felt like uncomfortable because, you know, like I'm coming from a background of of music and like thinking about things in terms of keeping people's attention. Mm. And so I was always worried that essays were boring, you know, like, I mean, I, I probably have some type of attention disorder. So like, it's like, I'm thinking like, if it can't keep my attention, then whose attention is it going to keep? Um, and yeah, I, I remember like writing the first essay and you were always telling me like, you could write more, like, you know, like expand a little more on this. And I was just like, ah, oh, they're going to be so bored. <laughs> like what, what? <laughs> Why do I, uh, why would I write more? And and in reality, it's not that. It's just like, I guess like a, a confidence thing of like, 
do I have something important to say? Mm -hmm. um, and to your point about um, like the future of essays, I actually think that it's going to go the other way. I think essays are going to become more prevalent because, I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the books that I'm reading right now, and a lot of them are collections of essays. Like, I mean, think of Chris's book. Um, think of like, um, what's that book? Uh, Chris Hampton's book? Is that what you're Yeah, yeah, The to? Hard Truth. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I haven't read that or, yet. Or the, um, or I think it's called Go Ahead in the Rain. It's like love letters to a tribe called Quest. Dude, Chris, That's all actually essays. Chris sent me that book. and I Yeah, I he sent it, it yeah. to me too. Oh, what a guy, what a guy. I know, right? Uh, but we, yeah, we spent like, a lot of our interview talking about you, so we're going to... It's going to be the same one thing. One of these days we're going to have to do a, a, a three-way interview. That we you're, can just totally nerd out. But. Your listeners are probably so sick of like, why Why would you bring the person that you were talking about right. in the previous interview just to talk about the person that just left? Yeah. Well, I mentioned you in a lot of interviews and a lot of conversations because you are kind of that perfect like I dream up you know writers like you or like a Chris Schultz oh, man or Birch Malachi there's just or a Kathy Carlo there's just certain writers that when I started the zine these were the dream writers and I didn't even know who you were at the time but it's like you you've brought that to the table so there, there's a reason we're talking about you and it's not just because you know me and Chris <laughs> are also <laughs> similarly hip-hop nerdish yeah <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think like, I mean, to be put in, in the same category as those people is pretty insane for me. But <laughs> yeah, I think like, but I, I to, to the point about essays, like, I think it's going to become more prevalent because like, dude, like people don't have time to read full books or listen to three hours of, of podcasts. You know, that's one of the reasons that my podcast is so short. You know, I make it that way on purpose because, you know, even even with it being as short as it is, I still have friends that will say like, oh, I've listened to the first half of, of the of X episode. I'm going to listen to the other half uh, tomorrow or something. And, and my episodes are never longer than 30 minutes. So like imagine that for like an hour or two hours, you know, like people usually don't have time to to dedicate to just sit down or at least the perception is they don't have time right i think that's the uh, thing it's like we we all make assumptions and I, I i talk about like millennials all the time too like people make assumptions about millennials but millennials are are across the board someone actually called me a, a millennial they're like your book is like a great thing about the millennial crisis i'm like well thanks for calling me a millennial like i feel like <laughs> I'm, I'm on the edge you know i'm like an honorary millennial or whatever but um <laughs> I think it, it is it is all perception of, of what, you know, one thing I learned through the zine is just, like, people actually do want that. I know people want the essay thing, and, and the book thing mm -hmm. is, that's where my passion is, so I'm going to mm -hmm. keep writing books, and I know people do read books. Yeah, certainly. Um, but I do know that it, it's been a complete surprise that the zine is just completely still growing in popularity, <laughs> and, and people, like, kind of crave this printed thing where... Mm -hmm. maybe if you know something was taken out of context and put on instagram it could it, you know go down a rabbit hole and we've seen that with your writing everyone's seen that oh with everyone's God. writing it's like wait wait oh you're uh you're you're trying to say this and it's like well no read Dude. the full essay you know like that's what yeah. i always say to people it's like we're not trying to be controversial here like read mm -hmm. the whole essay get out of the whole essay what you want versus this little snippet and like trying to <laughs> overanalyze i think in your most recent essay in volume 20 you are talking about hip-hop culture and climbing culture and, and mm -hmm. how they intersect 
and I don't think, you know, it's probably what a 4,000 word essay, 3,000 word essay. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I think this is the only climbing podcast that nerds out on writing. So (laughs) we've already had some other episodes this, this, um, um, actually the last couple episodes with Chris Schulte and Lucas Roman, we kind of nerded out, um, about writing quite a bit, but you, you couldn't really get everything you're saying in that essay. Um, if you didn't read the entire essay, you can't just like take a snippet of it. But what I thought you did so well, and you you really blew my mind. And I was almost like if I would have, you know, like read this elsewhere, I would have been jealous of like, oh, this is (laughs) this is something that (laughs) I wish I would have thought of Um, because you you break down the similarities um, of the gangster in hip hop and the Mm dirtbag in climbing. And if anyone hasn't read this um, essay, maybe stop the podcast episode and and read the essay. (laughs) Um, But you did it so well because you really um, brought it out that, you know, both of these archetypes are male um, and climbing. Mm -hmm. It's usually the white male dirtbag stone masters from the 70s. And -hmm. in hip hop, it's usually the gangster character. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's that much of a gangster in hip hop because if they were, they wouldn't be um, right. <laughs> I mean, there's there's certainly <laughs> right. many people that that blur the lines and um, and whatnot. But I, I think that's that's a good place to start about like talking about your essay because I I think this should be a book. Um, <laughs> and I've even I'm still thinking about it. You know, like. Um, just just how many like really good points you made in that. Um, and you're so right about climbing as um, our origin story is so vague. And it is the stone masters from the 70s and the 60s. And it's almost they were, you know, they were hippies, but they were also very privileged as well. Yeah. And then, you know, you talk about the archetype in hip hop, um, less privileged people. But also, as you said, you know, coloring within the lines of society. Yeah. Um, so what, like, how, how did you first start really thinking about these similarities and um, how we're really, um, our archetype of our heroes within climbing and hip hop, it, it is so much of, it's, it's based in um, mythology. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I think th- that last word is kind of what, helped me start to draw correlations like mythology, right? Um, Actually, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday about how climbing is, I think, naturally a a sport that draws obsessive people. Um, It because like it is it is I don't know very many people who just like casually rock climb (laughs) like most people like pretty much structure their lives around it or they're very like super into it or at the very least like it's like their primary sport. Um, But I guess like the the idea of climbing culture is something that I've thought so much about because I you know for a long time I tried to grasp what it was and you know. I've only been climbing for 10 years, so take my opinion for what it is. But I think I just started to realize that climbing didn't really have a defined culture, that it was more or less just copying what other people do. You know, even myself as a climber, like the way I just noticed, like the way I started to dress or like the things that I started to to do or say or like it. These weren't like 
I don't know. It, it was just uh, the result of being around people that were doing those things or wearing, like dressing a certain way or acting a certain way. And it's, and, and you know, that's something that I learned when I was little to like fit in, right? Um, I think they call it code switching. <laughs> but I guess like I started to realize like, okay, so climbing didn't like sit, the, the golden age climbers did not sit down and go, what is the culture of this sport going to be like? They were they were practicing escapism like they were going into the wilderness and they were you know isolating themselves from society like trying to disconnect from society um uh which is beautiful you know i i i hope that people understand that i'm not saying what they're doing is like bad or like not cool i guess like it's just trying to get people to look at it more you know i think we've talked about this a lot i think i even say it in the essay that like I think people take critique too harshly that like me critiquing climbing culture is not saying that climbing sucks. It's just it's actually saying that I love climbing and I want it to be better and I want us to intentionally shape a culture. But but more or less like I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but more or less no, I just realized uh, you made me I was actually thinking of that when you said it. Like you're you're concluding oh, really? that's why you, you gotta read the whole essay. Is it like I you're like I I love hip hop and I love climbing and that's why I'm critiquing mm-hmm. these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not good I'm not over here critiquing like I I don't know. <laughs> like you know what I mean? I, I'm trying to think of something you're that not I talking would not about critique. the Kardashians or some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not like yeah, because I don't care. Like I like <laughs> the opposite of love is indifference. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, like so yeah. I w- if I didn't care about something, I wouldn't invest the energy in talking about it. So like, and yeah, these two worlds are two things that I very much love that I find a lot of similarities in because I've been in both worlds and I feel like I understand them fairly well. But yeah, like it just, um, I guess what I realized is like, it's, it, um, it developed as a result, like the culture is pretty much an offshoot of the people who started it. It's not necessarily like an intentional thing. Um, and, you know, hip hop is a little different because I because I do think it was intentionally started as a culture. I mean, it, it definitely was like it was it was created as a culture, but it's been commodified. And that's what's changed it into being not an intentional culture, if that makes sense. I mean, it oh, is intentional. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, hip hop was started as, you know, block party, getting people mm-hmm. together, and was it uh, DJ Cool Herc is kind of yeah, considered yeah. The, the grandfather, and um, you know, break dancing, rapping, uh, graffiti art. Um, all these things um, mm-hmm. just for, just for the listener that might not know that that's where hip hop actually started. <laughs> yeah. Those are the, f- the four pillars. Right. Yeah. So what pillar did I miss? <laughs> you, I think you got them all. Okay. It's rapping, yeah. breaking, DJing and graffiti. Yeah. yeah. Those are the, I'm pretty sure those are the four pillars. I hope otherwise yeah. um, I just undermined all my credibility. Yeah. KRS one <laughs> is probably not listening. So I think we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, if he, if he is, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, like it, I just thought it was so interesting because, you know, and I say this in the essay too, but the two cultures are really kind of an, like their goals are inverses of each other where, you know, climbers are starting as a part of society and they're deciding this sucks. I don't want to be a part of society. I'm gonna run off into the mountains and, and like completely disconnect 
and live out of my car and eat peanut butter and beer. Yeah, and um, at that time too, it was it was almost strictly white males. Um, yeah, yeah, that that were doing that, um, which is something you've analyzed and other other people have analyzed too. That like, oh yeah, when <laughs> Real Robbins and Warren Harding were battling um, on El Cap, black people couldn't vote. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's let me tell you that is something yeah. that people do not want to hear. <laughs> right, but they need, but they need to, and, and I think that's that's where that's where you know stories like yours are very important to put in the climbing zine because it's a non-confrontational way I think to get that message across too. You know? Right, right, yeah. and and like I'm I'm that's the other thing too, and that's why I get I. I tend to get like really frustrated sometimes when people like take what I say and make it caustic because, you know, me saying that the golden age of of uh, rock climbing happens at the exact same time as the civil rights movement is not a caustic like charge statement. It is a fact like it. The Yosemite golden age is like roughly 1950 to 1970. And the civil rights era is the same. It's the exact same like 1954 to 1968 or something like that. Um, and I'm not saying that all black people couldn't climb or that all white people were ignoring the problems of the day. It's just like to bring context to the fact that like, yeah, like this historic moment in rock climbing did not include black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just it did not. Um, I mean, I don't even I'm not even sure that black people have were allowed in yosemite when the right. golden age was happening Completely, yeah. um so and and even if they were allowed it was not a safe place for them i can guarantee that um so yeah like and that's you know as an artist um my goal is always to get responses to get emotional reactions to get not in like a negative way but I would rather have someone have a negative reaction to something i do than than no reaction you know so um, really it just shows that it's working, but yeah, like, I, I mean, especially in today's day and age, I feel like it's, I, I hope that this doesn't go away, but, but my goal is to get people to start thinking about things, you know, that essay, the hip hop and climbing essay, it was not me definitively telling you what these two cultures are is me like bringing them next to each other to get people to ask questions and like, talk about it, you know, like that's, that's my goal. Uh, with pretty much anything I write. Yeah, and that's it. It, it so intersects with the goal of, of the zine too, is because that essay got the most feedback. Of, usually, there's one essay in every zine that I get the most feedback on, mm-hmm. and that essay was that. Um, Man, in in volume that's twenty, wild. yeah, yeah, and it. <laughs> and most of the feedback did not come through social media. It's more of like an email or a, a message or that's something. That's so cool. There was some social media stuff, and then there was also like someone who was battling you because. You you were being too male centric, um, and that's why we said to that person, you know, read the essay because I know. Oh you're, you're simply reporting um, <laughs> as an yeah. essayist. You're saying, I mean, you can't really think of two more male dominated um, activities than hip hop and climbing. Like seriously, even if there are successful women non-binary people, it doesn't mean that it's not male dominated. Like right. that's the reason that when I, in the essay, I say that these archetypes are male. It it doesn't matter if a woman is successful in hip hop or climbing because she's still judged by male standards. Like that was the point that I was trying to get at. Not that women can't be successful rappers or climbers. It's just that these cultures are patriarchal. So 
when a woman is successful, it's usually by a man's standards, like the the standards that men laid out. And right. and I'm not saying that it's good or like a good thing. I'm just yeah, I'm just reporting. Like this is historically what has happened, you know. Yeah, something I was thinking about on my walk this morning with the dog is that really the best climber of that era is a woman. Right. Lynn Hill. Right. Like exactly. She is the best climber of the Stonemasters era. Mm-hmm. But we don't – she's not an archetype. Like, she's just exactly. Lynn Hill. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, dude. <laughs> you know, everyone else is kind of um, molded into this um, what we think of – where climbers came from Yosemite in the seventies, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is just so interesting. And may, so maybe that's another chapter in your book is like, I was thinking you could do like Lynn Hill versus Lauren Hill or something, you know, Oh my God. That's Lauren actually, Hill is that's arguably, actually pretty genius. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, Lauren Hill is uh, arguably one of the best of, of her generation and is, is very singular. Um, and she's also underappreciated. Yeah. Big time. Like, like gravely underappreciated in my opinion. Like, uh, like, the the miseducation of Lauren Hill is like top ten albums for me. Yeah, <laughs> like so good. Like she's she's so good. Like why are we not talking about like yeah like I mean that is exactly I'm so glad I you have like record <laughs> that you came up with this idea because I'm like that's actually <laughs> really good because those two like almost occupy the same space. I mean by all stand by all standards of hip hop slash climbing they are the top of the mountain. Yet and still, we're we're not talking about them. Um, so they even like follow the standards of quote unquote success, and they still aren't celebrated. <laughs> like that's crazy. That man, that's really smart. How long have you been thinking about? That, I, I just that thought comparison? of it today. <laughs> that's well, really I, good. I often think of of Lynn Hill because I feel like Lynn Hill's stories is just being told too. Like I didn't realize, uh, you know, she did an interview with the Climbing Gold podcast and. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how important her freeing the nose um, was a statement of of her as a woman too, because uh, I don't think, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe she did, you know. And, and Lynn Hill is an incredibly generous person. I've been, I've been able to meet her over the years, and she's just like she remembers me, and she's so nice, and Aww. she's just like the best. But um, yeah, when I just think of the Stone Masters, really, Lynn Hill is the only female. I mean, there's other ones that are there. I can't think of their names. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, but she's she was also just the best <laughs> yeah like there was no one else out of that era that really climbed 514 on el cap <laughs> yeah and why and if that's the case then why is the like iconic image of that era like jim bridwell and like those three why is it not of lynn hill you know like yeah. the the i think of like the image of biggie with the crown you know like yeah. why do we not have that of lynn hill you know right. like yeah <laughs> It's um, it just goes to show you that like these and I guess like the this is like probably the the thing that could be extrapolated from the essay that I didn't explicitly say is that these cultures need to be updated. They need to have a standard of success that actually encapsulates the people who are climbing, who are participating in the culture. Um, You know what I mean? Like yeah. there there's more ways to be successful at rock climbing than being the the quote unquote strongest rock climber. There's more ways to be a great rapper than being number one on the hot 100, you know. Um, And but we don't think of it that way. Like that's not or, or at least the standard isn't set up that way right now. Yeah, totally. Uh, what do you see it within climbing culture? Because 
I, you know, I've been climbing for 20 plus years and um, I've seen it go from, you know, a white male dominated sport to what it is now. I mean, it's, it's becoming a lot more diverse and it especially becoming a lot more diverse. I would even just say in the last five years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what do you see? Where do you see climbing culture at right now as, you know, um, as a black climber, as someone who has been climbing for a while? I mean, I've got to imagine your experience is quite different than your average just white male getting into climbing. Um, I, ha- I have a bad habit of asking two questions at the same time, but um, <laughs> I guess okay. you could start there. Of just like what, I mean, what's, what's different of, of being just a black climber versus a white climber? What, what things do, have you had to, have you experienced within climbing that, um, you know, have, have been different and have been, you know, you know, based on like the color of your skin? Yeah, you know, um, one thing that I always preface with is that I had, you know, my experience is not going to be the same as every black person, but I will say that, like, one of the things that kept me in climbing was that I was accepted right away. Um, I felt super at home with rock climbers because they just, they didn't care. Like, I, I didn't feel like I had to be, like, white enough or black enough to fit in with them, mm. if that makes sense. It was mm-hmm. the first time that I had felt that. So yeah. I really I really liked climbers for that. And before I was really even super interested in climbing, I just hung out at the gym because I liked that so much. Mm. I think it's it's tough for me to say how much of my experience was different because I was black versus just not being a climber, you know? Like I started climbing when I was 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, one of the biggest things that I notice a difference and didn't really like put into perspective until later was I didn't necessarily feel safe in the places we were climbing at. Yeah. You know, Um, it's a, you know, we joke about it. For context, you've climbed a bit in in the Midwest and the South. Yeah. 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 Like most of my climbing was done or is done in like the Red River Gorge in Eastern Kentucky, or like we climb a lot in like Horsepins 40, which is in Alabama or, mm-hmm. you know, Rocktown, like, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, all that. That's where most of my climbing happens. And so like, and those are places where you're like seeing Confederate flags and shit. And yeah, stuff yeah. Like yeah. And there was even one time dude where like, um, and I actually didn't, re- this is crazy. I didn't remember this until like my friend, brought it back up because he was so shocked by it but yeah there was one time when we were like in illinois like we weren't even south but uh we're going to a place and there's like a truck full of white dudes that that like either drove by or like stopped by but they were like shouting the n-word and like like harassing us um i mean i was only a black climber there so really me but um i mean i had friends there so they stuck up for me and i but i i guess i had like blocked it out of my memory just because like you know, climbing, I was trying to make climbing my safe space. Um, it was the one time where I really felt accepted by a group of people. I didn't want it to be this thing that existed in the real world. And I think a lot of climbers would identify with that, right? Yeah. Like we want climbing to be this special oasis that exists outside of society. I mean, literally like that's what the impetus to uh, start climbing culture was, right? Um, but it's not like that's the thing that I've had to learn over time is that it is just as unsafe and um, complex as the real world. You know, it's I mean, we can't we can't run away from that. Um, 
And I think, you know, it's it's also hard for me to say how much of this, of my experiences um, because of me being black, because I'm used to not fitting in. So so being the only black person at the gym, and like I just didn't even notice it, to be honest, because that's just kind of what I got used to, mm-hmm. um, especially being in college. So yeah, I didn't really think of that being weird <laughs> because it was just what I was already doing. Um, but yeah, I think that like, it was largely the same experience as being the only black person in academia or at work or whatever, just that now we had an activity that we could totally bond over. Um, So ironically, in a lot of ways, climbing felt the best in terms of like fitting in with, with people or like having things in common with people. Um, And so, yeah, I feel like my experience is like largely different than most black people's Mm. experience because you know, like I was already used to not fitting in with with black people or white people. And then at least when climbing came around, I had something, you know, I had a thing that we all understood, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I think a lot of climbers are othered people in general. Like I started, you know, similar to you, I started climbing around that same age. And I felt like I never truly fit in until I found climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also never had to think, you know, I, I started in Illinois and then promptly moved to Colorado about six months into my climbing. Um, but I've never had to think about, um, yeah, the color of my skin going climbing, you know, like ever. I've never had to think about that. I've never had to like see, you know, like a, a Confederate flag and feel like that's aimed at me, um, yeah. or, or things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, um it's it, it has to be terrifying <laughs> to be in, in in those kind of situations and i think you you've also said that you've always kind of gone climbing with other white people and you've never just like yeah. rolled down with a crew of of um you know black people to an area in alabama or yeah. kentucky or whatever and, and didn't, didn't you say you actually wrote a uh, or you're working on a like a fiction horror story based on that kind of concept yeah, I might yeah. be kind of like fulfilling the prophecy <laughs> a little bit, but it's like a, a yeah, like a, a cosmic horror fiction novel. And like one of the stories is a group of four black climbers go <laughs> climbing in East Texas. And yeah, the, it does. It doesn't go super well. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I mean, it <laughs> it's kind of hard not to, to write it that way, though, because like I don't really I mean, to me, truly like that idea still sounds really terrifying like mm-hmm. of of going with a group of black people exclusively to some place like that to climb you know because with when you're the only black person in a huge group of white people and you're in you know rural Alabama at some gas station with a bunch of confederate flags everywhere and you know you don't see any like it, it's there's still the security of knowing that you're with other white people mm. <laughs> you know, like it, it you, you would think that at least that gives you some kind of buffer, whether that's true or not. That's the perception. Um, but, yeah, to think of like a group of just black folks going somewhere, it's just uh, and honestly, dude, like I don't want to I want to be careful about this because I don't want to make it seem like climbing is always terrifying. You know, like I do think that pretty much I, I've. I don't know if it's because I'm used to it or because it's um, it is this way, but most of the time I don't think about it. It's only in certain situations where either a I don't have service. Like when I run out of service, that's when I start thinking about it. Mm. 
um, or B, like just being in an area where like, yeah, you see all the markers that, that let you know that you're not probably welcome there. Um, and, uh, and, and that, and just the, like, what am I going to do if my car breaks down or like, um, but again, like being with white people gives me in that, in those situations gives me a little bit more sense of like comfort of like, okay, well, at least there's other white people here. Maybe, I don't know. And that, like I said, that may not even be true. Like the, it may not be any more safe, but it just makes me feel more safe but yeah man like even to this day dude like um when i go to the red river gorge i don't have service um so i when i go there i always want to have everything planned out you know like like sometimes my friends like they'll see me at the campgrounds and they'll ask like if i want to go climb with them the next day and if i didn't plan it like i'm pretty much gonna say no because i don't want to like change my plans at all if I get lost out there or you know what I mean like I don't have service so I can't call anyone for help um and yeah I would just hate to be in a situation where I'm out there by myself um you know what I'm saying yeah yeah and I think that goes back to your essay too and that goes back to climbing kind of being a white sport (laughs) because especially male too because I think of even dirtbagging as a woman I think some of the things I've done dirtbagging you know as a woman women don't have that same feeling of freedom um that you know males do and then especially white males so it's no surprise that the first um, people that came out of climbing were you know white somewhat privileged males you know yeah dude could you imagine could you imagine a black woman wanting to camp by herself in like a park at night like that and that really like makes me sad to to say that but i really just that is something that you and I will never understand, but like mm. we clearly can see that as a woman, it's a totally different situation being isolated in a place where you don't have help readily available. Um, or, you know, like even a group of women, you know, like, and, and it just, um, you know, like even as I think of like black climbers that I've met, most of them have been men. Like, it, 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 and it makes sense, you know, like, it's not good, but it makes sense because I just feel like, yeah, I feel like the man to woman experience is like even more so a, a wider gap than white and black in some cases, you know, like, Absolutely. especially if you're a black woman, that is like miles away from everybody else in terms of like danger and actually, you know what, the, the the thing that made me think about that I had never climbed with black people is I was listening and you might have heard this story, so forgive me. But I was listening to this panel where there was um, there was three black outdoor enthusiasts. There was a, a black guy that was a, a veteran and he was a fly fisher and he did all these different cool outdoor th- things. And then there was a, another black guy and there was a woman, that, a black woman that was a hunter and survivalist. And she's been hunting probably almost as long as I've been alive. And she still, to this day, will not go hunting without a white person. And she's like, nope, I would never do it. Like, every time I go hunting, there's a white person there. And this is this is a woman that's been hunting for half her life. You know, like, survivalist, like, camping, you know, like, knows all her shit. Like, is in fully into what I would say is the community of hunting and still does not feel welcome, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and from from my perspective as just like an ignorant white male, you know, it's like that's so <laughs> fucked up. I know. Like, I, it's yeah. so fucked up. Um and it pisses me off and 
Um, but it's also like, oh, I didn't have to think about that ever because when I was dirtbagging and, and I think the thing about old school dirtbagging too, is you're kind of like slightly breaking the law always, you know? Right. That's another thing, <laughs> dude. Oh my God. Like the, the premise of, and that's something that to be honest, it, I didn't really think about till later, but yeah. yeah, the idea of breaking the law on purpose, yeah. that is such a, I'm sorry. That is a white thing. Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> mostly white uh, thing. <laughs> mostly white, but let's, let's also go back to the gangster and hip hop. Yeah. That person is always, that archetype is always breaking the law too. Right. So it's, that, it goes back to this like American outlaw culture that we love. And I think like killer Mike, um, mm-hmm. you've watched that trigger warning show. Oh my God. I his? love that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I love that show. You, you should have a show like somewhat like that, you know, like I trigger wanted, warning with the outdoors, you know, I wanted it to um, be, I wanted ACP to kind of be the outdoor version of it. It's not quite as caustic, <laughs> but I would like it to be eventually. <laughs> Yeah, like I'd like to make something like that in the dictionary because you said that twice now. And it's a, it's like, it's like pointedly sarcastic to the point yeah. of being bitter, uh-huh. <laughs> basically. Like it's like, it's like being sarcastic and like knowing that you're going to make someone mad, but doing it anyway. Hence, trigger warning. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Killer Mike is. I think he's an uncelebrated American hero. Oh um, my god! I guess I he's he's kind of getting his his props these days with with Seriously. Jewels, but. He was talking about um, how the Hell's Angels are so celebrated. That's that's yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Th- I love that episode. The Crips, Sorry, go ahead. Um, the you know, and then he's talking about the Crip Cola, where you know the Crips are um, not necessarily celebrated <laughs> as an American mm-hmm. culture, at least not in the way that the Hell's Angels are. Right. Um, but he was he was doing the Crip Cola thing. You know? Yes. Um, yes. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of losing my, my train of thought about how that connects um, with oh, your we're essay. talking about breaking the law. Yeah, breaking the law. Like, there's this um, – in, in hip-hop, you know, I think Jay-Z's interview that you quoted in, in that article, too, was the uh, – um, such such a good – a good line that no these guys are lying <laughs> yeah yeah he he just straight up is like you know the rappers are lying <laughs> rappers are lying which is is only somewhat true because jay-z did sell crack like, yeah he he meant it <laughs> he meant it and i don't know if you listen to oh, dave chappelle's uh just induct or he was like the intro for his hall of fame induction you know and he's like mm-hmm. yes jay-z sold crack and, and that is part of the american dream because the american dream means doing whatever the fuck you can to get yours you know yeah Um, yeah 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 that's uh and that's the thing is like there's two things about that that i find really interesting is one like you said breaking the law is celebrated with some people but not with others right you know like you have you have two organizations that are effectively doing the same thing for largely different reasons though right like the the crips were started as like a neighborhood protection thing Mm -hmm. it wasn't a it wasn't started as like a thing to to wreak havoc as it's been portrayed right right whereas i I don't know the origin of the hell's angels but i would argue that (laughs) they weren't helping people (laughs) i I would yeah i wouldn't argue that like we're gonna protect these neighborhoods like i don't think that's why it was started i could be totally wrong i'm willing to accept that but but Uh, my guess is like you know predominantly white gangs are started just for the fuck of it in some cases you know like like the the clan like sorry hell's angels and the clan aren't the same but i'm saying that like the clan wasn't started to protect anybody like it no. you know and like but the crips were and and these things and yes they both break the law but like in 
why is one okay and and the other not you know like and that's the thing that's what i love about killer mike's show is like the the hell's angels are commodified like they have t-shirts they have you know like we know who they are and like it's like badass to have their stuff but if you were to yeah like you couldn't do that with like crips or bloods you know um so and, and that's something that's that's common in climbing where like you it's like celebrated to break the law where yeah. like and 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 i think the difference between those is like i feel like when you're talking about black gangs or like a jay-z these people are being put in situations where basically breaking the law is like the only choice they have you know like if you're growing up in extreme poverty and you're not being given a lot of choices it it just you know I, i i can't say i don't think it's really fair at all to judge people who are put in like horrible situations like that that break a law to survive like you're, you're trying to survive and sure yeah jay-z was like making lots of money selling crack but he did not i'm sure that when it started he was probably just trying to find a way out of the situation he was in he was not thinking like oh breaking the law will be fun he was like let me get out of this fucked up situation you know where yeah if he could have got a job at a tech firm or something he would he yeah, yeah yeah if, if they were like <laughs> we need a new it guy out in san fran six figures starting like i'm sure jay-z probably would have preferred that because it would have been easier and safer <laughs> or as a writer for the new yorker or like something yeah stuff like that, yeah he's clearly a genius yeah and yeah. and that's the thing that sucks too though is that like it you know jay-z grew up in the what in the 80s you know like yeah, and, the crack and, era, yeah 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 and so like but now but after hip-hop got commodified and changed into this product that people bought then it became cool to to do that sort of thing so now it's kind of being flipped over where um you know the people that were rapping about doing like selling drugs and like fi- like they were just talking about their life like they were they were talking about what was happening around them um, but now it's become the the rappers now are just repeating what they were doing. So in a lot of ways, rap is doing the same thing. I guess I wrote a whole essay about this, but rap is doing the same thing that climbing is where people that are rapping right now, for the most part, are just repeating what people like Jay-Z and, um, you know, the rappers before him were doing when that was just their life. They weren't like, oh, let's make a rap. Let's make a culture about selling drugs <laughs> and and being impoverished. That was just what they were doing, you know? Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it's the same thing. Well, it's super interesting, too, because, I mean, what does the average, like, American look at hip-hop as, you know? Mm-hmm. I, what did they yeah, think Yeah, I of? don't know. Like, do they think of Jay-Z I, or do they think of Snoop, you well, know? Probably or, not anymore. Oh, my right. God. They probably, they probably think of, like... Kodak Black or or maybe right. like Kendrick Lamar or someone or like Takashi Six Nine or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I mean, honestly, dude, that's Cardi probably B what or, like yeah. that dude. I mean, honestly, though, that's probably what like most people think of rap as is like it's either like Cardi B or and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Cardi B, but I'm just saying like it's either that or like Drake. You know, like because yeah. Drake is I think yeah. the most one of the most streamed artists. Period. Um, so maybe that's like. I mean, rap has changed a lot since since uh, Jay Z's era. Yeah, I feel like now if you say Jay Z, people like we're gonna get to the point where people are gonna be like, "Who's that?" Right, <laughs> which is know, gonna break my heart. That billionaire guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, dude, Beyonce's that, husband. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on, I mean, hell yeah, I mean, yeah, you're. 
Oh man, if you're married to Beyonce, yeah, you always are gonna be second second banana. <laughs> um, yeah. But but yeah, man, I don't know. That's an interesting because I I honestly don't know what the average person thinks of when they think of hip hop because you know it's it's different now than it was in the in like the '90s and the '80s. I mean, hell, even in the '90s, it was like way more. I mean, that was when you had like '80s and '90s when you had like N.W.A. Public Enemy. It was a lot more political and a lot more like anti-establishment um i mean tupac yeah like i all of it it was, it was a lot more charged whereas i don't really know i think it's mostly entertainment now um or at least that's what it's become prevalent yeah, and it's so interesting that yeah it is that the outlaw i i wonder what the it almost is like the prevailing if drake is you know drake is number one and drake is just like a like a lover boy or whatever you know yeah. like yeah, that that image of of hip hop is is what has kind of prevailed. But then you also have the Kendrick Lamar that has prevailed, who is, mm-hmm. you know, like a um, should be named, you know, like the po- the poet laureate. Um, I yeah, I feel like the I say that that word wrong, but um, he's that. And then you have all these, you know, you have like the fake gangsters and then you have like a Cardi B and then you have tons of, of just good artists. Um, mm hmm. But yeah, it's it's so interesting. Like the the state of hip hop now is um, is kind of everything from hip hop. But I wonder, like, how much community aspect is there still in in the hip hop? You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I feel like I'm not as in the quote unquote hip hop culture. You know, like in the world as I was before. So, right. you know, I can't say definitively what the culture is like. I mean. Yeah, I I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's just so different now because it's easy to make music with people who aren't around you. So there's not that component of like, you know, like when I was growing up, like we'd go over someone's house and like record on the four track recorder or whatever it is, you know, like, um, but now like, I mean, I can make a song with someone who's halfway across the world and, and never, never meet them. So I feel like it's much more of a, it's bigger now and and it's um I, I I'm not really sure I'm not really sure how much community there is. I mean, this is me speculating, keep in mind. But Right. But it is I think you nailed it though, in a way, because it's like me and you are connected through hip hop just as much as climbing. Mm-hmm. So it is this kind of um r- bigger bigger thing, you know, like it's kind of yeah. taken over the world. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like um you're better with words than I am, but there's a word that um, that I'm thinking of of like ubiquitous with American culture is hip hop. Yeah, it's like yeah. I mean, I think that is the word. Like, it's it's synonymous with American culture. Like, hip hop is like a one of our main exports. And you know, you know, one thing I just thought about in terms of where I I, I think hip hop might be a little bit further along. Well, it definitely is further along that the evolution chart as opposed to climbing, but hip hop isn't really necessarily about being the best anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, because if hip hop were about who's the best rapper, then we would, then we would have totally different people on top. Does that make sense? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Drake is not, he's not the best rapper, but yeah, he's just the most successful rapper. And, and, you know, like, I think, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a lyricist. So I, I kind of, when I was younger, I hated that, that we, diverged from that because I wanted rappers to be good. Like I wanted them to be skilled. 
Um, but but in this context of this conversation, I wonder if it's actually a good thing that it's not about being the best anymore. Um, because number one, what is the best, right? Like, what? how are we defining that? And two, it just shows that hip hop is becoming less about being the best at making it and more about like how what you're doing resonates with people. Um, now, what resonates with people, that's totally dependent on like society and like what people in society want. But I guess what I'm saying is that like, what if climbing could get to that point? Like, what if we could get to a point where it doesn't matter who's climbing 516Z or like who it like, or maybe it matters about as much as every everything else. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I feel like right now climbing is still focused on who's on the top, the, mm. t the tip top top. Where to the point, dude, where like when when you tell someone that this person climbs 14a it's like oh it's just 14a like it, we right. don't even think 14a is hard anymore right. yeah that's ridiculous dude it like you, like why do we not understand how f separated professional climbers are from regular rock climbers <laughs> we have no grasp of reality as a culture um and so like yeah like what would it look like for climbing to take on that sort of mentality where it's like, yes, there are people who are the best. You do have like a Kendrick and a Cole here or there or a Joyner Lucas or a, um, you know, like a, 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 a lyricist. But then you also have the, um, you have the Drakes and you have the, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of rappers that aren't necessarily lyrical. Like you have like the little baby. Like <laughs> yeah, like the and, and little baby is like almost. A, I would say he's a little bit lyrical. For, the, like he for can, this generation, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, for this generation, he's yeah. like he's like Lil Wayne yeah. <laughs> in terms of lyric. But he can rap. Like I I, I yeah, definitely yeah, want to say yeah, he can rap. Yeah. But yeah, like what would it look like to have like a like 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 a Chance like Chance the rapper like uh -huh. Chance is a good rapper but what his appeal is not necessarily that he can rap really well do you get what i'm saying like it's yeah. more about his personality and like his character and like his style like when when can we get to the point in climbing where it's not just about your ability i guess is what i'm saying right and i guess you see a different side of climbing culture than i do too i mean i guess everyone sees a different right. side um but i think we're both me and you are both trying to in a way we're part of culture and, and our voices are listened to. So really whatever we want. And I think that ties, it's kind of like ties a bow in, in the conversation of, of your article. It's like mm -hmm. climbing culture is whatever we want it to be. Exactly. Yep. And, and clearly for both of us, we don't give a fuck about what other, what great, like you could be a five fifteen climber, a five ten climber. We'd be having the same conversation. Yeah. You might have less time to have conversations with me if you're <laughs> training for five fifty. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I think climbing culture to me is a group of people that, like, care about the outdoors. And mm -hmm. climbing culture now has brought, you know, like, more diverse opinions and people into my life because mm -hmm. climbing itself is getting more diverse versus just, you know, a bunch of white males out there climbing, which um, – it's not as fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, and it's so I guess I, I guess I would see, I just see a different side of like, you're creating climbing culture. I'm creating climbing culture, mm -hmm. but you're right. We are, it is kind of the underground, I guess. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe that that's what's going on is that it, it's like, there's this underground in climbing now that used to kind of be 
what it always was, I guess. Yeah. In, in some ways, but it's it's changing for the better in so many ways too that we can't really look back and say, oh, the 1960s were the glory days. Or it's like, yeah, if you're a white male, yeah. maybe they were, but if you were, you know, a black person trying to go into Yosemite or, um, you know, any other minority, like it, it wouldn't be you wouldn't look at it with that same wistful glory, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that is that I just thought of that's really relevant to what you just said is the constant pushback of climbing getting more popular, for example. Right. You know, people will be like, oh, my God, like I, there's so many people at the crag now. I, I miss when climbing was not as popular. And what they're really like, they may not realize it, but what they're saying is that they want climbing to be less accessible. Like they, they want it to be something that not everyone can do. Who's getting affected by that the most? Like, it, it, you know, like why we, we want to ask why there aren't more black people rock climbing. It's because it's not as accessible. And I'm not just talking about like money. I'm talking about socially, you know, like if you there's not a lot of well, I, I would say that when I started, there wasn't a lot of variance in thought in terms of like what people wanted to get out of climbing you know like it isn't just about living a fringe lifestyle anymore a lot of rock climbers don't even climb outside which i think is insane but a lot of rock climbers don't climb outside anymore i mean people don't want to camp out of their car necessarily and i mean i think even just that is like a an awesome divergence not that it's wrong to want to do that but that shouldn't you shouldn't have to do that to to be considered a rock climber or to fit into the culture and i guess that's what it is is it feels like climbing is like so strictly monolithic about what we consider to be a quote-unquote real climber or what standards you have to make to to be accepted in this culture when again these things weren't intentionally done the 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 yosemite climbers weren't thinking like oh well if they don't camp out of their car and they don't climb 512, they're not real rock climbers. They were just, that is just what they were doing. Um, and we've decided on some like ancient tablet that that is what rock climbers are. And it's not like the sport's still so young. We don't know what rock climbers are. Uh, in my opinion, at least we still have lots of room to explore that. Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's such a, a great, that's, that's, that's how you ended your essay. And I feel like that's such a, a great way to kind of wrap up our conversation. I do, <laughs> I, I did this with, with Chris Hampton and I do, um, I do want to hear your top five, um, no favorite rappers. <laughs> no, it comes in your mind at the moment. Shit. <laughs> Dude, this is so hard. It, it changes every day. Okay. I know mine, uh, mine changes all the time too. So yeah. Like, Chris said the same thing when I asked him. He's like, if your top five <laughs> doesn't change. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um. Okay, so is it like – so when I say top five, is it my top five personal favorite or do I, or yeah. who I think is the – okay, because yeah. like my like favorite – Desert Island is, kind of shit, you know. Okay, you okay. Can, you so, can take the music of these five, you know. That That's less pressure yeah. because, yeah, okay, so – I know this is I know this is uh, not the best thing to say now, but Kanye West has to be there, <laughs> yeah, um, because yeah. he's amazing. His his music, I mean, it literally it's part of what inspired me to rap in the first place, you know. So um, Kanye, I think, um, you know, I mean, you can't not say Jay Z. Uh, mm -hmm. Just like so much. I mean, the Black Album was like such an important album to me. Um, 
I mean, Eminem, another another person that really helped me understand like, oh, there's like skill in hip hop. Like, you know, like he was the, I still think he's probably the best rapper in terms of like straight up writing, you know, like and lyric, lyrically, I think he's the best, period. Mm. Um, let me think. Okay, so Jay-Z, M, Kanye. Whew, um, man, this is really difficult <laughs> for me. Um, Lupe Fiasco probably mm. would be up there. Yeah. Um, because like Food and Liquor and The Cool, I think are two of the best hip hop albums, period. Yeah. Um, both of them are so good. I don't know why he's not more, well, I guess we just talked about why he's not more famous, but, um, and then, man, I feel like, I already feel like I've left out so many people that I didn't want to leave out. Um, man. I'm gonna throw a wild card in there. Freddie Gibbs. Freddie I Gibbs. I love Freddie wow. Gibbs. Wow. wow. Have you ever never... have you listened to his I can't his get catalog? into him, man. No, I I've really? listened to him a little oh my bit. God. I just haven't Dude. haven't well, got into okay, Freddie so what Gibbs. Have you, yeah. What have you listened to? What have you listened to that by thing him? He did with like Mad Lib recently, I guess. Oh, okay. The um was it Alfredo yeah, or exactly. Zebra? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He I think I think he's such an interesting rapper because He's someone that started, you know, straight up just gangster rap. Like just, you know, I mean, he was on uh, Jeezy's label. And um, I was actually reading about this a couple of days ago. But I mean, they obviously did not end on good terms. He left. But I, I, I think it's because Jeezy wanted him to keep making like straight up gangster rap. And as as he's grown, like he started to make little like he's forayed more into being a little bit weirder. You know what I mean? Like he, I think the reason I enjoy him so much is because he'll make like traditional gangster rap. But then if you look at like his music videos or like his merchandise, it's always so weird. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's so goofy. <laughs> like he doesn't take himself seriously. Uh -huh. Um, even though he's like, he'll turn around and like say the most like gutter, like gangster shit you've ever heard on a record. Then like you go to his like music videos and he's dressed up like an old dude and he's like <laughs> dancing <laughs> or like he did one music video where it was like uh he was like a uh like one of those guy groups in the 70s, like a sweet soul group where he had like a fro. And dude, I, I think that's why I pick him, because he, you know, he while he does like play to the the archetype of success in hip hop, he still also like takes. He, he does add a spin to it and makes it really interesting. And, like, his music's good to work out to. And if I'm on a desert island, I'm probably going to be training for 515, yes. and I need some workout music. <laughs> that is a really – it's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, if I listen back to this, I'm probably like, why the fuck did you pick those five rappers? No, I love it. I love it. I love putting – because I always, like, do it in my head of, like, who might are and it always changes and – yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if you if you ask me it in like a half an hour, I'll yeah. probably give you a different <laughs> answer. All right. Text, text me when we get off the phone later. You're, yeah. You're an hour later, <laughs> top five. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, did did you when you asked Chris this? Did did you give your top five? Uh, I think after the conversation, uh, mine rotates too. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to know my top five? Yes, I do. All right. So Andre three thousand. Mm hmm. See, I'm. Jay-Z. Okay. Yeah. Um J. Cole. Okay, yeah, yeah. I see J. Cole and Kendrick. Okay. Um, <laughs> Most Def. 
man. See, <laughs> okay, yeah, this is good so far. Okay, and I think like Tupac. Man, see, like your, th- this is why I think it's so hard because it really, those are all like equally valid choices. <laughs> you know, like if if I had uh, if I had been thinking about Tupac, I would have said Tupac. I know, Tupac's he's always one I leave out. And I'm like, oh, that's I know, and yeah. and then like that's another like actually Tupac is a great example of. Uh, this might be controversial to say, but I don't think Tupac was like the most lyrical, like wild, like rapper in terms of skill. No, but but I do think what is great about him is he was able to make music that really resonated with with people, um, and he was actually talking about real hard yeah. struggles in in like the like street life, basically. You know, like. He, I mean, he talked about like the the stereotypical things, but he also, I mean, he he wrote Brenda's Got a Baby, you know, right. like he wrote like, uh, I see death around the corner, like I mean, people will always talk about his like gangster music of him like being violent and stuff, but he, they are missing so much of his of his catalog if they are just talking about his gangster rap, um, and it's just sad because again, like it just shows you that there's a standard of hip hop that is deemed successful and everything else gets ignored, you know, even by the rappers who are successful in that way. Um, yeah, dude, like, uh, yeah. So you could not have Tupac out of your top five simply because like, yeah, he was truly like the people's champion, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think another chapter in your hip hop and climbing book, um, that would be super interesting is just like the mortality of, of climbers and, there are of our, our oh shit our legends, that's another you know? dude oh my god that's another thing that that they share actually yeah because he did all like we we me and you probably combined won't do what what he did with his life um in right like, 25 he died when he was what 25 right yeah yeah then, yeah. yeah i mean think about like like a uh, mark and it's completely different ways of the way people die but that mark andre leclerc guy who's featured in that album mm-hmm. as well. i don't know if you've seen that yet but Mm-mm. super powerful film but yeah he he died when he was like 25 too and they're both just such geniuses in their own way and if we could have had another 50 years of each of those individuals like the world would be a better place you know it would be but then like and this is something i've actually thought about too is like is tupac as as high up on the podium as he is because he died you know like it's kind of like and and this is Again, like I am not saying like we everyone just heard that how much I love Tupac. So this is just me being an artist and like right. asking questions. But do we know definitively what Tupac would have turned into? You know, he right. could have yeah. he might have sold out when he sure. when he you know, he we, we just literally don't know. And it's always easier for us as people to project what we would like. Some like we like I'm sure you and I like when we think of Tupac now, we we think of him like just like totally revitalizing the black community, like change like maybe running for president right. or some shit, yeah. like, you know, totally changing the system. But it's because like, that's what we saw him doing in his early life. I'm sure he would have, but, but do you get what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, people are safe when they're dead too. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't, and, and, and people are safe when they're new too, because they don't, we don't have a whole lot to judge them off of. Like another great example, obviously Biggie, right? Like he was 20, four when he died oh my like he was something way crazy but we only got two albums out of him Mm -hmm. technically only one before he died but like yeah we we don't know what he would have turned into we just have these two really really good albums uh to base 
like to project the rest of his musical career off of. Um, and so I just think that that's really interesting of like, do we, it's not necessarily saying that Tupac isn't deserving of the praise that he gets. It's more saying like, do we appreciate these people only because they're dead? Or would we have appreciated Tupac as much if he were still alive now? Would right. we be saying this? And I don't I, know. I think that's a good thing to remember in, in both climbing and hip hop. It's like, yeah, we need to celebrate, you know, like Killer Mike or mm-hmm. you know, we need to celebrate. Yeah, if he died, dude, if he died, like I'm sure that all of like people would be like, oh, he's so great. Like he did all these things. But yeah. are we doing that now? Right. I mean, I am. Yeah. I love Killer yeah, Mike. But yeah, he, yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I do. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. We need to celebrate who's around now and, and, and what th- people are doing now and. Man, there was there was so much more I wanted to get to, but I guess we we'll just know. have to do another uh, <laughs> another uh, another interview in in 2022. But um, yeah, I'm glad the world got to to eavesdrop on on our conversation. We're probably a little more focused than we normally are. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to end on the note that it's been a pleasure to get to know you. And, and in 2022, we do need to hang out in person, and hopefully, we yeah. can hang out with Chris and and all kind of get together and and do some fun stuff. Um, Maybe, I would, it'd be fun to do like some sort of performance at a climbing festival or something like that as well, where we all kind of, you guys can do your rap thing and I can do my poetry thing. And uh, That would be really rad. Like maybe I could bring my, my drum machine and make the music for y'all live, you know, like that would be pretty rad. Actually. I would yeah. be down to do that. I just Let, saw this. Um, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that was it. That was all I was going to say. Uh, I just saw this. It was probably an old video. So it was like, you know, that Jay-Z song Picasso baby. Um, oh wait off, what album is it's that it's off that know. album that wasn't super big but it had that really big song with justin timberlake um, oh uh kingdom Con- no not kingdom it, King- Con. it was after that it was like 2012 or 2013 oh magna carta yeah yeah um he did this thing at some fancy new york city art gallery but it was like he he did he performed the song and then with with every performance they just had one person came up and interacted with him Mm-hmm. is in the art gallery so they were like staring oh, at cool. him or dancing or like battling with him um i don't know i, I think i think it would be fun to do something like that to like, to like kind of emulate that yeah yeah <laughs> and like bring bring this you know like talking about creating climbing culture like bringing this poetry artistic rap stuff into our into the climbing events into the climbing culture i think that maybe we, could, we could do a whole tour <laughs> that would be i mean it would be amazing for like multiple reasons and and i guess like this is a a nice like summation of what we've just talked about but it's just like changing it into an experience you know like adding a layer to something that already exists you know like we always you and i always talk about one of the things i love about kanye is like when he would release an album it wasn't you know, when he released My Beautiful Dark Twist, Twisted Fantasy, that was not just an album. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, like, it was a whole thing. I mean, he had, like, the the live show, like, the whole, like, experience of the show was really unique. He had the art that came with it. You know, he had, probably had some Yeezys that went with it. Like, and buying that album and having it unfold and having, like, that is an experience, you know. Um, and that is something that I, I think is the future of, like, not just entertainment, but art in general is like trying to make full on experiences. Um, and yeah, it would be cool because we would one be bridging climbing and hip hop together, but two also, I think pushing the bounds of creating experiences of things as opposed to just commodities. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people are craving that now more than ever. 
A hundred percent. Really believe that. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was Heck super yeah. fun. I think the world is going to enjoy listening to this. I hope so. That was super fun. That was episode 21 of season two, our season finale. Hope you all enjoyed that conversation. I really enjoyed having it with Devin and um, surely wasn't uh, surely wasn't boring and surely wasn't um, run of the mill there in that conversation. Music from this episode is, of course, from Devin. And our digital editor and producer is Chad Rich. And from beautiful Durango, Colorado, I'm Luke Mihal, signing off. Peace.